Hello and welcome to Stories from the Christmas Drawer. This is Season 3, Episode 2, Post-Valentine's Day Blue Blur. <laughs> In a reference to uh, Sonic the Hedgehog coming out after Valentine's Day. I only, I just recently saw it. Um, I know it came out last weekend. I saw it today. This is February 22nd, 2020, when I'm recording it. Um, so, yeah, recently I saw it. I saw it today um, with one of my friends. Um, saw Sonic the Hedgehog. And it was a really good movie. I was like, the Angry Joe show, I watched their review of it. I stopped before they got to the spoiler section or any sort of uh, script or anything like that. And I refused to read anything about it besides from just the trailers that came out and people responded like, wow, that was a good movie or not. So I, I came away with it. Like I was expecting, yeah, what I got. It was fun. Uh, if there was one disappointment, I would say, um, and this is such a minute disappointment in my, like, this is only for people who played Sonic as a video game at young. It would have been so nice when the Sega logo comes on the screen at the start, if they just had, like, the Sega from Sonic 1, where he, where Sega comes on as in his, um, in the blur behind him, and you get the old Sega, like, I can't do it, but that sound effect, that would have been a little cooler, but I completely understand why that didn't happen. Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik is just, like, fantastic. <laughs> really hope they do a second movie just because of that. Um, animation was, was solid on Sonic. Um, they're definitely... <clears throat> like, I understand the direction they took with it. Um, spending a lot of time with um, the, the human characters and not spending all the time on Sonic. But at the same time, it was very well... Um, it was a fleshed-out movie that definitely felt like they... They had already had the idea, and then when they released that initial trailer uh, early last year with the horrible like uh, Sonic, the Uncanny Valley Sonic, uh, it was smart that they took their time and went back. Of course, there was crunch time in that development, and the studios, of course, who made that laid off because the... Uh, I mean, there's, there's more information that's come out, but it, the initial information was... The uh, executives of that company wanted, saw a better monetization direction for their company, and they just laid off staff to sort of shave their, shave, um, shave their payrolls. That's the initial information. I don't know if that's still true, so just saying that, I, I'm not in that industry, so I can't really go and seek out that information. I have heard of that, and if that is true, hopefully a lot of those guys, like, they showed their value. And apparently they also did the Detective Pikachu movie, so they are pretty well, um, they're very good animators, and hopefully they land on their feet. And one of my friends who's in the, uh, who's trying to get into the video game industry, he's like, Vancouver and Montreal, where these, like, art facilities and these 3D farms are, they're doing great. So that's a, like, they're growing there, which is good to hear, good to hear. But yeah, I mean... I almost, I almost think that the director pushed the original trailer out just to get everybody freaked out about it because probably Paramount's like, oh no, ev everything's fine, like that, that, that Sonic's perfectly fine, and then he pushed the trailer out. He's like, you're gonna, you're not gonna believe this. It's gonna be shitty. And then of course the reaction that he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I just think that way because the fact that Sega was, uh, was said that they were so out of the loop until after that trailer's released and then were completely brought on made you think that he, that some corporate meddling was kind of pushing their way who knows it's, i hope that information eventually comes out but i am happy that it has done so well it's like 200 million it's made so far and this is the second weekend and i don't really think there's anything challenging it right now let's just uh Let's just see what other shows are on at the cinema I could have gone to. So, oh, Call of the Wild start. So that might be good. Fantasy Island. 1917 is still playing. Wow. Um, but Harley Quinn and, uh, and the Birds of Prey have just been slaughtered by Sonic. So <laughs> you could say what you want, but Sonic uh, delivered on that. And that's, that's cool that that movie did well. And I hope that more people go to it. It's definitely a kids' film, but it doesn't play too stupid. It, um, like it, there is some enjoyment for adults just to watch it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll say that. Say that. Uh, almost done my first playthrough of Eternal Darkness. Like I last week, I decided, 
you know what? I am just going to play this game. This game that used to horrify me when I was a kid. Uh, my brother got really far in it. Now I'm finally past his save point in that game. Granted, it's our first pay- playthrough. And I was using a... Um, just using IGN strategy guide for their walkthrough. Boy, knowing what magic to use at the right point it makes that game a lot easier. Um, like, if I was playing it blind, like, like I have two playthroughs. Um, so this, the IGN one was doing pretty well. And then I had an initial playthrough of, I'm just going to play through it the way I think think to play through it. I picked the hardest uh, ancient first. So I was going to get destroyed. Like, I just had no knowledge of what to do. Oh, and that's Trigger playing with an empty Gatorade bottle, because he loves that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so now I'm doing pretty good. I mean, the game is so good. The, the story, the way it's told, is very interesting. It's sort of RPG-ish, because it's multiple characters, but you don't really get to work on skills. So the closest thing you really get is, you get um, the, only, the farther you play in the game, the better magic uh, spells you can make. And the better, the more powerful they can be. So the better enchantment, the better shields, the better damage fields, the better healing, um, better invisibility. And there are things you don't think about, but it's like, that's actually very well done. And the insanity mechanics, which are just legendary. Like, you can go on YouTube and watch a half an hour long video of some of the amazing ones. It's just like, it's great. I really hope it gets a spiritual successor and that um, Nintendo does that. Um because you can, you can, the company who wants to do it, like uh, the the original creator of Silicon Knights, who wants to do the spiritual successor, he's never been able to get the fundraising enough to do it. Now there there are two reasons for that. First of all, he he's promised a lot, and after Eternal Darkness, he sort of went, and um, yeah, Eternal Darkness was second. They did uh, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snake Snakes um, for the GameCube as well. They did that uh, version of Metal Gear Solid One. People were, after that, Siliconites really went downhill. So people weren't happy with the direction it was going and were concerned about what's going to happen. Like, Two Human was the last game I think they ever made. And there was a major, I think, lawsuit. There was a lawsuit from Epic about that. So nobody really, nobody really trusts him with the amount of money it would take to make the game. And some of the people he's worked with have had um, questionable run-ins with the law or aren't savory folks. So, I mean, that's why you do want to crowdfund. It's like, I, we're, we know these guys are good, but they've got weird backgrounds. It's sort of like, you know, maybe what you need to do is you need to, you need to be a producer of this game. Like y- You have some input, but you're not the one in charge of getting it done somebody else above you is like that. Maybe that game does need to be published and it needs to be overseen by the right team. If it wasn't for the fact that Nintendo owns the rights and, and has the patents, I don't, I think they've expired now. They probably have if Nintendo hasn't um, done that, but I know Nintendo has the copyright and the eternal darkness name, but it would be cool if, if like Nintendo and Capcom teamed up just because Capcom's been kicking it out of the park with uh, resident evil like uh, the Eternal Darkness uh, mechanics would do amazing in a Capcom horror game, especially with the Resident Evil team putting it, putting it in charge of it. Like, just, just great, just great. I, I wish there was more than that. And what else to talk about? Oh yes, uh, the Michael Bloomberg being in the Democratic debate last week, which I heard was a knives to the throat like event, and people are speculating that the DNC. Uh, convention this year will be brokered that is uh you know as somebody who's not who doesn't support the democratic national uh the democratic party in the united states it's like it's funny seeing them have this infighting but somebody also wants um like the best candidate from both sides to be (laughs) yeah like we're gonna get the best candidate from the republicans right now still not i've become less of a trump fan as is presidency has gone on and by that i'm saying like i was not a big trump fan and now i'm kind of like it's really the lesser of the two evil arguments and it's talking about like do i want to get my arm cut off or do i want to get my hand or i just want to get my uh my arm cut off from the shoulder or from the elbow it's like where does the injury happen is how i'm kind of looking at it and i'm i'm canadian so i don't fucking vote in this election (laughs) i can't vote thank god um, I didn't vote in the last Canadian election. 
and Trudeau is sort of still MIA on this whole thing of uh, the blockades and rule of law and all this stuff. And people are uh, the like the being libertarian Canadian account is talking about how how um, these hereditary chiefs brought up a good point of hereditary chiefs um, who are have power because of name only or various other reasons aren't elected by the people that they claim they represent. And the idea of dem- of um, representation, representative democracy is you elect the best of you. But if it's like, if your name brand is why you're getting elected, like Michael Bloomberg, like Justin Trudeau, like the Bush family, like the Clinton family, are they really the best or are we voting on them because of popularity and because of name recognition? Well, obviously from the Bushes, like J- Bush Sr. was good for the United States, Bush Jr. less so, but the 9-11 thing does kind of skew that. The Hillary Clinton, big name in the Democratic Party, but not that favorable in the centrists of the United States. Same with uh, same with Trump and Trudeau, unfortunately, like really rose to power because of his father's name, but he really isn't his father. Like, I, I, I was not alive during Pierre's time in power. And I know the national energy policy, which uh, he enacted, which kind of screwed Canada and like bas- almost tried to nationalize the oil industry to fund Quebec and Ontario and get the equalization payments in. There are problems with that. I completely agree. But at least he acted like he wanted a unified Canada. It was for Canada. It wasn't for Quebec and Canada. It wasn't for Ontario and Canada. It was for Canada. And we're getting the points of this blockade is stopping essential goods from getting uh, by tra- on the trains by rail from Ontario out to the Maritime. So Newfoundland needs oil to stay warm. It's uh, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, um, PEI. They need their energy supplies coming in. It's they don't currently have um, vast energy uh, supply complexes that are coming from renewable resources such as windmills and and dams and solar right now. Uh, solar would actually be kind of difficult to do in Newfoundland. I suspect like New Brunswick, Nova Scotia might be a little bit easier, but again, because of the maritime storms, you might have more water-based damage, so that's that's not good to talk about. Uh, not talk about, but like that's not good for the, the equipment. That definitely wears it out faster. And you're, when you're talking about the ideal solar panel... Re- has a 10-year lifespan, and with the more maintenance and more damage, it's harder to deal with. And now they know that um, like they're, they're just throwing away those windmill blades because they don't have a recycling capability of them yet. I do say yet. We may eventually find it. Hopefully we do because they're huge blades. Like Some of them are just like the height of the Statue of Liberty, and the only way to dispose of them in the ground is they cut them in thirds and dump them in these landfills that have tons of space. Because it's a, it's an epoxy resin on top of fiberglass. Essentially, they don't know what to do with that. <laughs> so, um, going back to the um, DNC, a broker convention is scary from my point of view. Not because I'm pro Democratic Party in the United States, but because it's unfair to the people who have voted the primary if their person they voted for is completely obliterated by the superdelegates who are the delegates that are, are pretty much party members or like important people in the party who get to vote any way they want and are not beholden to voters. That's kind of a terrifying thing. And it's much like how, again, that becomes a brand name politics versus on- honesty. So if you've got a brand name that you're just going to get and you, the super delegates are going to back you and the party people, you know, the, the, you don't win the, the primaries, but the super delegates back you up. It's kind of like that's sleazy just my point of view and i like it looks like it will be a broker convention i really hope it's not that that or that there's no backroom dealing like the brokering is so out front and honest with the people that they're not angry at the end of it i mean they'll be disappointed they'll be in fighting but it's it shouldn't be like something that breaks the party down and unfortunately the democratic party in the u.s is really becoming the social democratic party in the u.s by uh, by the by the uh, more leftist part portion of the party, which is speaking out more, and the younger generation, which is definitely much more of a um, 
social justice progressive movement. Unfortunately, they don't seem to understand that eventually the gun will get turned on them and the metaphorical gun. Hopefully it never gets to the point where that metaphorical gun becomes a real gun, but eventually they will be seen as the traitors as well. If this pathway of um, righteousness and piety by the social justice standard, eventually all the social justice warriors will become an an outed group that must be destroyed or conflict will go against. And what, what you fear from that from the political standpoint is the center and right wing groups that are being threatened or like this trying to be, you know, cancel cultured and, uh, and, you know, ostracized, you fear that eventually it's going to get to the point of, um, some groups just going to be like, uh, it's just going to use the Gavin McInnes. So, and just own their position and just say like, no, that's who we are. We don't give a crap who you describe us are. So like, Oh, you're a racist. So, and you fear that when that happens, that people will just vote for that group because it's like, they don't care what people call them. It's like the, and the, um, the apathy will go so far in one direction. It's like, these guys are trying to make us care about every little damn thing. Like, like uh, you know, some person who didn't know somebody's pronoun said, have a good day, ma'am. And that, that person didn't identify as that, like had some... Like one, like their pronouns were like 1,588 down the list of 4 million pronouns. So nobody even knows what the heck they are except for the person who has self-identified as that. And then it becomes a human rights tribunal and the rest of the country's like, how the hell do we get here? Like eventually it's going to wake up and this collective amnesia is going to be gone. It's like, what the hell happened in the last five years? How did this happen? And you fear when that happens, it's just going to be, well, I don't trust these guys. We've tried their policy. Let's just go the exact opposite side. And you really hope that there's not this um, jump and reactionary jump from one side of the spectrum to the other. But what you, what you hope and what I hope is, is that uh, people who come to that point say, yeah, I remember when we were sensible people. We're like, okay, we get these people want to be identified as everything, but maybe it's just like... Frick, what you want to do in your own house is your own damn thing. The government isn't going to enforce like 14 million imaginary pronouns. What you can get is you can get he, she, and then, uh, and then do not, I do not wish to disclose. That's their third. Because there's ones where it's like, um, like you go for employment opportunities at companies and they have a set list that they've chosen. And apparently that's like, that small list and they've got an even larger list in the company and they just like we don't know if any until somebody asks for this one we won't put it on the uh applicable list but if somebody does we'll put it on on like the resume sign up list and it's like that's that's terrifying and what you what you're scared of is that it becomes a point of uh of that there will become an hr complaint uh, of lawsuit complaint uh, a human rights complaint and all this stuff and and they you know somebody who just came to the company has no idea that this person identifies some way and just like writes an email and blah 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 and it just pisses that person off and then it goes to hr you really hope that some companies are going to be like you can identify as whatever the frick you want to identify as but it will not be but our policy is misidentification on that of people who have not consented to call you that and you have not informed of your preference first of all you've not informed of and they have said no that's stupid which they have the right to deny. If that person has denied it, you can't take that to HR, HR, and like you can call yourself whatever the hell you want on internal emails, but it will not be an HR thing. It will not be human resources. It will not be like a oh this person called me that name, so I wanna you know it's workplace uh, harassment. It's like no 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 no. You have to prove it's workplace harassment. Like if this person can usually goes out of their way to say that your your pronoun is fake and and does that like in every opportunity then it becomes a workplace harassment but if it's just one email off and you're like ah oh, this person yeah you call me the wrong call me the wrong thing i'm like zur and he like called me i'm zur with an x and he called me zur with a z and it's like and freaking out over that and companies are like have you is this the first time they've done that yeah have they apologized when you confronted them to them it's like yeah they didn't know it's like okay well then we see no reason to bring this up close or or um is this the first time he's done it? no 
they pointed out in every email that my p- pronoun is not real and that I'm a man or a woman and they continuously slam it. Then you get to the point of like, so is it only them who are doing it or are they telling others to get involved? Are they publish publicly stating this like, you know, on a chain on a group uh, email, are they saying blah 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 is a x that is not your pronoun and is continuously doing that that and is kind of making it a point and if, they, if then you say yes it's like okay fine that is a harassment because they are singling you out but you have singled out one person who made an accidental mistake so hopefully that cooler heads will shit cover on that so you know that's that's i guess my political identitarian uh speech on that thing but you do you there is a thing of where where you can just make up any pronouns you want. Like, I could identify as an AH-64D attack helicopter. That's an Apache attack helicopter. Or the H-64E Apache attack helicopter. Or I could identify as the A-10 Warthog, which identifies as an M1A2 Abrams with the SCP version 3 kit. It's like, you could just make these things up and just keep going. And you get to the point of, like, some are so, like, over the top. Uh, like, like some people are definitely making fun of it by just going very far on it. Some people are serious in some of the ones they come up with. And that becomes, well, who are you, uh, Mr. HR person, to judge which one is real and which isn't? It's a, you get to the point of it's either all of them are real or none of them are. And I, th- I think the thing is... Yeah, you can say what you want to say. You have to get me to consent on that on my side. Like, it's not my fault you can't handle that I disagree with you on that. That That is your problem. And if it is your problem, then you have to reconcile that in your mind. However, if it is a proven th- medical condition, blah, 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 or like proven sociology, that this does, this is what you are. Genetically speaking, you are a blah, 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 Fine, but I'm still, but I'm still not going to call you a made-up word. You, we can debate on it as much as you want. If you're a friend, maybe I'll completely do it. If it, if it's, if it's done in a way that it, I can see that it's helping you, I'm, I guess I'm taking the Ben Shapiro approach of, or no, the Jordan Peterson approach is like if anyone asked him, he would have been fine. It was when the rule of law was used to enforce it that he had the problem, because then he thought, okay, so we're we're ta- people can use abuse this. To get to use government coercion to force people to believe in their ideology, his stance was completely like in private conversation. If you come to me and bring it up, I got no problem. I'll completely do it if you cock to me. But if you use the force of government and of police and of of coercion measures by the threat of threat of power against me, then it becomes a point of well, you're just the mob. You're just the mob anyway. That's dangerous. And we're seeing mob rule in Canada based on these protests about how the federal government's kind of been like, we're not taking a stance on this. The court order says we can do anything. The RCMP are kind of like, do we need to get involved here? It would be nice if we had some leadership from our executive government saying yes or no. Um, and just, it, it, it seems like there's just a lack of communication by the people who should be telling like, the court has made its decision. There are no more injunctions. Get moving on it. And the government's making the decision um, in Canada, the federal government is, especially about the uh, the tech project in for Fort McMurray, the new oil project run by tech. I forget the company's full name, but I know it's being called tech. Um, there's some, It's more than that. About the decision of the federal government to not make a decision or to make the regulation so damn difficult that tech walks away and the government can then say like, well, we, you know, they walked away from it. We made, we told them what they need to do. And if they did that, they would get it. But, you know, and they're the ones who walked away. Obviously they didn't want the project that, that badly. They didn't want the $20 billion project that badly if they weren't willing to do our, our environmental stuff. And then when you start looking at, it's like, well, you created a whole new level of, um, of bureaucracy and and oversight in these things they've never been needed before as a form of government harassment to choose who uh who wins and who loses and it's just like um how in alberta here bruce power when they wanted to get the uh, they wanted to do the peace river nuclear power plant how the uh, energy department of alberta under the under the uh conservative party of alberta 
was completely for it. Like the energy department was like, yes, absolutely, do this. Up to the minister to bring this to the uh, to the um, to the legislature. Nothing. Second year, same thing. We endorse this project. Minister did nothing. So eventually, Bruce is like, we're not going to spend uh, X number of hundreds of thousands a year to keep this proposal going. It's stale now. The government obviously is making a decision to not make a decision on this. We're going to pull out and save our money, which is what the right thing is. If government's going to play a game of like we, you know. Every reason they say no is completely because they don't want to make a decision. It's like, oh, we don't know. Our decision is to not make a decision. Well, you know, if, if, it's, an, if it's a field that you completely regulate, that is a decision of no. If it's a field that you have no regulation and you're like, we don't have a decision, it's like, you know, it's like somebody built a private airport and, port and, and go, goes through everything to get it all right. I know, Trigger. I know. He's just being a little tired right now. He's had a busy week playing with uh, my parents' dog, and he'll be and tomorrow he'll be back over playing with Charlie again. Oh, don't worry, Trigger. Yeah, <laughs> he got to hang with the guys. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But um, but going back to how I'm thinking about this, let's say I make a private, um, maybe not an airport. Maybe that's that does require government oversight because of uh, air airplane trans. Um, you know, airplane travel is handled by Transport Canada and Nav Canada, I believe. Also, um, so there, is, so there is government for that. Let's say I build a hotel, a hotel on a piece of property that has never been zoned, out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody's ever zoned it. Nobody really cares. I build, I build a hotel. I go through everything, get it all done, and then the government says, um. It's not that we don't want a hotel, we just don't want to make an answer on it. And it's like, and I say, well, I don't need your, propo- I don't need your, uh, your permission to do this because this is property I already own. You have nothing to stop me. I just go about and do it. And they'll be like, okay, sure, whatever, because we have no power to make a decision on yes or no. If you can't do it, go ahead. We're not going to make a decision. We're not going to endorse or oppose the project. It's like, that's brilliant. So your decision was to not make a decision, which was not to take sides. Fair enough. I'm building my hotel. But if it was a situation where you needed government approval and their decision was to not make a decision, all of a sudden it's so you've you've chosen to say no without saying no. You've ch- you basically said we're going to say no, but we're not going to publicly say no and you and you are going to back out of the project and thus we don't have to say no. I wish people would hold um government's feet to the fire on that. It just it seems so lazy to govern that way it's like our decision is to not make a decision so therefore you will pull out you'll waste all your money we get the resource we get the we get the taxation we get all this funding that you spend to make sure that the proposals kept up um all those jobs are kept going um that are to only defend the proposal there will be no more increased economic activity when you pull out maybe that's it's three lawyers in a in an engineering firm that just loses one project when you pull out but if we had said yes, it would have probably been like fifty, like twenty thousand dollar, twenty thousand construction jobs, three thousand permanent jobs, um, probably legal teams, probably probably increased taxation, uh, increased tax rates from the sector, cheaper energy, more guaranteed energy. It's like if your decision not make a decision, just freaking go say no. Don't make all these very like you know impossible to reach goals, and then say say if you do that, then we then we'll say yes. It's like, well, why have you only decided to put that out after all the proposals? Like we want to do this. Well, here's how you have to do it right now. That's what you need before. This is what you have to be willing to do before you even do a feasibility study on anything like that. You have to see this is the agreements we want. Don't get to the point of you doing all this and the government's like, okay, so you've passed everything. Now here's our list of demands after you've passed our already existing first list of demands. Frick, you are hostage takers, you pieces of shit. That's just my opinion on it. So let's end the the politics. Uh, Last night, my board game group was over and we finally beat a game of Eldritch Horror against Azathoth. (laughs) It was the third time we played the game against Azathoth. We have not played against any of the other base uh, monsters. That's Cthulhu, and I think there's two other um, like epic monsters that we have not played against yet. 
Uh, it took us three to, three games to beat it, and that seems to be the average of like the group game where everyone's working together towards a single goal. It's like um, Shadow Rift. We also had three games that we had to play before we, we had to play two games, and then the third game we won. Now we're gonna see if we want to play it again against another monster, or maybe uh, if our group next time only turns out to be four people, we might play Scythe. Um, the thing with the group is we've got like nine members in the group. And about three three to four of us are core members that almost always show up. And then there's like four members, who, four to five, who like fluctuate. They may come once and then like four months we don't hear from them again. It kind of it, it kind of gets to the point of annoying where you've got a member on the group who just like you throw dates out and it's just like and it, it's it's a month out. They they like yes, and then two days before they're like, oh, I booked myself to work. T- uh, I need to work tomorrow because, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z. Or it's like I, I, or it's like I can't come. And your response is like, why not? It's like, well, I have to work that day. It's like, well, when can't when can you do this? Like I I don't know. It's like okay, so you're not going to propose any times. Then, you know, whatever. I, I guess it gets to the point of like when you get people who are in a group who have come only once who never try to come again again um who never go out of their way to come again who really act like it's um somebody else's fault it's not never their fault they can't come it's always the group's fault for picking that day it's like at some point you just go why are you in the group just just leave you know you've know you can only come you've only been able to come once because you had one game you you didn't really have fun during that or whatever and I'm not saying this about one person in our group. We do have two people who have had that. That, um, But it does get to the point of, why are you in the group, man? Why are you in the group? And I, I say this now, and I bet two, I bet the two who have done that will try to show up in February. It's more interesting where one of them actually says, like, I, tr- I was planning to come, and this has come up. And they say it like, five days before or, or six days before the event it's like sorry this has come up and then there's other people who are the day of the event not going to be there just say no i'm sorry busy sorry can't make it or or not even sorry it's just like can't make it you're saying that on the day like you know <laughs> say that maybe like a week before if you're really living day to day like you don't know what tomorrow's schedule is going to be for you at work like you might have a shitty job now, you might also have in this economy gig work where you actually don't know, which is kind of concerning. Just my thing. But anyway, that was fun. Um, we used to play Flux all the time as our starting game, but last uh, last night we had to start later than normal because uh, I had to trade, trade a work shift with somebody. Um, yeah, my, my work situation ain't the best right now. <laughs> Oh, by that I don't mean my job ain't the best. It means like I'm getting three shifts a week because the other two guys want more shifts than me, and we're sort of putting energy on that. I would, I wouldn't mind going to four shifts a week, or three and four and three and four, just to make sure I'm making more cash. Uh, but I do have um like work with my brother um and various other side gigs that seem to show up. Like I seem to get two or three side gigs a month that are a bunch of extra money that just make sure everything's flowing. Finances are getting kind of tight. <laughs> I do have enough reserve to do stuff for a few months, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's getting there. Uh, when you start putting budgets out and you're like, oh, crap, you're spending X number and the Y is less than X. It's like, that's concerning. But then you realize like, oh, but I had these three gig jobs that I didn't edit in and you edit that. And it's like, okay, I am well more than fine. I shouldn't be complaining about that because I know there are people who are truly living paycheck to paycheck and are I don't have backup resources at all. And I my heart, go, my heart and empathy goes out to those people. I do have backup resources if I have to go to it. I just, you know, would prefer not to. I am enjoying the privilege that I have that capability. <laughs> I know some people don't. Oh, Trigger went upstairs. I hope he didn't have to go outside and have an accident. Um, hmm. So, yeah, um, he's been doing a pretty good... Uh, Trigger's actually been doing pretty good. I am going to go... <laughs> Come here, Trigger. Wait, did you...
He went and found one of my socks. So that's perfectly fine. At least it's not a shoe. He has an obsession with the, some of my shoes, but he's been a very good boy. If he had an accident during this podcast, it's like, that's my fault, so I'm not going to get mad at him for it. I do want to, when I uh, get my um, get some stuff uh, coming in, coming in. so like uh, when I buy the Blackmagic Mini ATEM, I do want to have, um, I don't have them yet. I can borrow them from my brother. I would like to be able to buy some stuff to do it, but I, I, I at the same time, I don't think my financial situation puts me in the best chance to do that. Um, I would like to buy an extra camera. I have one camera here. I could use my my um, SLR, but unfortunately that does auto turn off after 10 minutes anyway. Um, it'd be nicer. It's, well, maybe not. Maybe I could make it getting 30 minutes or so. Um, that's still not ideal. <laughs> my main camera will definitely have a battery that runs for way longer. Um, but just using that to create a po- podcast with the mini ATEM, having those four in and being able to... to um, multiple cameras in because I think it would be cute having Trigger on his own chair his own little mic and maybe a little like a mini set of headphones plugged in on him just for a few minutes hey come here oh yeah he probably had an accident (laughs) I'm gonna have to clean up after him I think yeah yeah I'm gonna have to do a clean up here (laughs) I hope Um, I hope it's just number one and not number two but (laughs) Uh, the 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 life of a uh, raising a puppy so yeah they do happen he was very good last night so he's earned a uh, he's earned a reprieve from me I he he does his best and frankly he's just so damn cute I can't complain about it although I did let him out right before the podcast so that kind of makes me a little disappointed in him uh, so yeah uh, let's talk about something else um so I worked with my brother. There's company in Airdrie for the Alberta Winter Games opening, and they had two displays, they had two projections going on, and um, there was a bunch of cool stuff at that. Um, I saw only what was in my section, like I was managing, like just overseeing one of them, so something didn't go wrong with it. Um, kind of just like a hired hand to observe, <laughs> then make sure nothing like got stolen or pushed over, which is fine. Um, so I didn't see their main thing, which was like their big work thing. And I didn't really see a lot of the other stuff. There was some cool stuff there. There was a, like a tethered hot air balloon ride. Um, there was a matey village right behind us, which was pretty cool. Um, fireworks, um, these cool f- statues that shot fire out of them. Um, so there's some cool stuff that I saw. But I didn't see the big thing. Anyway, the opening ceremony was from 7 to 8. And on the timeline, it was expected that it would have, um, like, 8 from the end of the opening ceremony to 9 to, like, 10, 15 sort of thing, uh, 9 to 9.30. It would be like, hey, everyone who's here for this, like, mingle around, go see some of the displays, blah, blah, blah. And really what happened was, like, 4,000 people disappeared in two minutes. Like, just got on buses, went down Main Street, and just left. And Matt and... Uh, the guys from his company and me and probably a few other uh, groups were just like, oh, that's it? So it was two hours before the... So we ran for two and a half hours before the event, like from five to seven. Then somewhere 4.30 to seven. And then like at eight o'clock, it was sort of like, it's done. And of course, the schedule didn't say that. The schedule said like run to nine. Nine would be the start of the hard shutoff. 9.30 would be like the everything has to be shut off by that point. You want to be packing up and out of there by 10.30. So that's kind of disappointing, really, when you think about it. Like, we, I, the main display didn't get as much view as it could have gotten. And the display I was handling, like, got a few people there. But again, it wasn't like a lot of people. Well, there was a good amount of people who walked over there, but nowhere near as many as the people who observed the uh, opening ceremony. So... Our things, and I think Matt was talking to the uh, producers and stuff like that, saying, like, you guys need to pass, say, like, hey, guys, stick around and, like, do stuff like this. You know, promote people to do that next time. I Hopefully they've, they've talked about that. Just because it, it feels like the compensation is apparently was apparently pretty good for all the groups involved in this. And Matthew said it was, like, the shortest amount of work he's done for the most amount of money he's ever gotten from one of those. So that's cool. But from the standpoint of, like, 
there is a point of like, yeah, you're paying me for so much. I but I would rather have the exposure than the paycheck. Like I'd rather have people enjoy my art than. <laughs> what, what you got? Yeah, Gatorade bottle. He loves those Gatorade bottles. That's they're really good until they start chipping into them. They're really good toys for pups. But going back to that, it's a thing of I would. <laughs> wow, trigger. Um, and I get where Matthew's coming from. I would rather have a ton of people experience it. Like I'd rather have a lot of people listen to my podcast and me not make money than 10 people listen to my podcast and me charge money for it sort of thing, which is why my content below, which should always be for free. Um, at least personally, I am thinking ways like, can I find a way to get income off of this? And what I want to do with stories from the CRISPR drawer and Jaws consortium. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm too late to the game or not. I'm willing to try. I, I've i made the decision where I don't want to put a Patreon out right now. I've talked about it on this podcast, like launching a Patreon. I don't think the quality of work and the consistency of work is there to make a Patreon even worthwhile. I would rather start, like, release my podcast, get, get viewerships up. I'm not that good of a marketer when it comes to anything on social media. I'm just, I'm terrible at that. Um, and you see, a lot of that's organic stuff anyway. Like, you can pay for ads, but it only gets you so far. It's, and I don't know if posting on YouTube would help. Um, like, I would like to do a bunch of videos, like capture some videos and then, uh, you know, from video gaming and have a group of guys where we play video games as well as board games and record that stuff. And I think that would be fun to put up. I don't have enough uh, gear yet myself to do that. I'm getting there. I can get there pretty quickly if I need to. Um, I do have people who have the expertise to tell me what gear to get, what's, what's worthwhile. And I would review that and say, like, yeah, this is gear I'm using. Here's how I can definitely have fun with that. And I don't also want to be just purely review channel. <laughs> I, I don't want to be going out and buying things and just saying, like, here's things I liked about that. I don't want to do unboxing stuff because it seems like um, like when, I, when I'm watching unboxing stuff, unless it's a real critical, like, here's some good, here's some bad, here is my personal take on it. And it by the way, this wasn't paid for. There was either... Like, unfortunately, even sent for free is, like, you didn't have to go out and get this. I would love, I would love Zoom. I would love Asus. I would love, uh, uh, you know, Anchor or, you know, Belkin or something like that or, like, you know, Sony or any companies to send me free video games. But then it would always be the stipulation of I have to review this and I have to be fair. I would always sort of like, this was sent for free. So that has, like, I didn't have to go out and spend money to buy this. <laughs> I got this asset for free, which means that there's probably an implicit, um, uh, you know, like an unspoken implicit bias of that you should be positive to this product. And I don't, uh, I don't have a problem with that idea. What I have a problem with is how that could be misconstrued quite effectively into the, um, into the way that people would think, that uh, because a, a, a company X sends a product in and they're always given good reviews, is it because they're sending it? So, I mean, that's that's an honest thing. Like, uh, I bought my Asus uh, ZenBook Pro uh, Duo completely based off of, like, the review from Linus Tech Tips and just, like, I've been an Asus guy. I like their stuff. I like the idea of it. I knew that there was stuff going on that this computer will be better for. Like, I need... If I want to do streaming, I was either moving my giant-ass desktop downstairs, setting it up, which would probably take f at least an hour to make the move completely uh, viable, set up a bunch of stuff, um, f figure out a bunch of wiring and changing stuff out, or, with only three devices, use my ZenBook, which is has about the same capability... With Thunderbolt 3 accessibility and the USB ports and all this other stuff, probably will be just as good to doing most of the work I'd want it to do. Um, the portability is nice. The capability of it is good. So it became a thing of what's my mo money thing? Is it? Am I willing to spend the money on a good product that I trust? That, um, how would I say this? That I that I trust, but I'm I'm willing to pay for the convenience of it's mobile and it's ready to go. 
versus I always have to move my screens. I always have to do this. I always have to do this. I always like, I have to completely tear down my, my, um, my rig in my bedroom, carry it down to the basement, reset it up, which I have to now figure out like, Oh, do I go buy a desk now for that? Because I've got a lot of gear to do that, that, and it is a heavy beast. And the more I move it, the more things are like, Oh crap. What? And of course, yeah, sure, I could have spent the money on probably building or replacing components that would have been better on that. But I wanted a computer that was also mobile completely for just, like, some of the jobs I want to do with this. Moving my desktop is just... It's not impractical. It's its near impossible. So this is seen as a benefit of, of the convenience factor of it. And I will say that uh, I... I've been using these little transformer books for a while, and they're getting slow. Now, I still use one for traveling. I still use the most current one I have in my position for traveling. I've got two others that um, I'm updating for, to Windows 10 just to keep the going, and they would be like terminal computers here for for the podcast for the guests to use, which I think would be fair considering they're working. Um, and then I could use my other one as another guest computer. So that way, at least the computer's here. I mean, a, a lot of people have laptops, but some of them just don't bring them. And some of them don't want to, you know, log their their personal laptops onto another network. And I completely understand that. That's why I would prefer to provide the gear. But none of them have power to handle streaming. So then it then it becomes a thing of um, of getting gear and getting all that together. And... You know, I want to get a backlog of video game footage, some B-roll, some stuff like that. Practice my editing. Get really up to stuff. Like, really spend time and maybe by maybe by June, maybe even by July, start doing it. I know that there are some things that I, like, some jobs or some stuff that I am doing right now that do take up some time that I see the door closing on those. Like, I don't, I'm not going to be doing them much longer anymore. Now, will that mean they won't be replaced by something else, like some other projects I get involved in? I very much might com- might completely get involved in them, and I, I do not mind that. So we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. I mean, I, I do know that the uh, Mini ATEM, uh, I can now physically go and pick one up in Calgary, so that does make me very happy. Be, um so I'll be doing that, playing around with that, figuring out like what's the best way. Should I do, should I do my HDMI preamp? Should I do it post amp? Just going into the TV because that's probably the easiest way to get to it. Granted, because all the devices are plugged in and I've really like tied down those HDMI cables versus doing it from the amp to the TV. It's it's still sending audio signal there there, so I don't have to worry about messing with that. And I really am only sending video signal at that point point and we know that everything will should latency would sync up at that point and so thus if i pulled it from there i wouldn't have any latency issues i'd have to play with that well i want to only are so there's stuff where i would only do voiceover video gaming or would i always want to have a camera on me uh like a picture in picture my face in the corner that's something i'd have to discover through editing and viewing and stuff like that and then i have to figure out where i want to host the stuff do I want to host it on YouTube? Do I want to host it on BitChute? Do I want to find a way of like creating an income very quickly from it, which YouTube and Twitch would probably be a more ideal pathway. Uh, Twitch would probably be better for immediate pay- funding, um, although the, there are issues with being a Twitch partner that I, I haven't read the license on that, so I would before I would accept that. And then doing YouTube, or would I go and find, like if I have enough support, would I go and find like an alternative platform like... Uh, Linus, uh, uh, Sebastian, and uh, Luke Fournier's um, project uh, float plane, where people would have to pay to access that. But I, then it becomes an issue of I am paywalling my content, and and I understand the idea of paywalling content as a way to guarantee income from it. But I I do want to do this for fun, and I fear that if I did decide to go to float plane. I would have to put a lot out to make it worthwhile. Like now I would probably be saying like the subscriptions would be like one to two dollars if I did that. I like would be absolutely unexorbitant, like very low cost, like you know, just get as many people on as possible. 
I don't like just pay your buck to watch. You know, granted, that's if a thousand people are paying a buck a month with the fifteen percent and all that other stuff, that still comes out to like potentially seven to eight hundred dollars extra income a month, depending on taxation and all this other stuff in Canada, which I haven't thought about, I haven't talked to. That's not too bad if I also have a if I still have like a forty like a thirty hour a week day job or a twenty five hour a week day job at a at a good price. And it all depends on what I'm willing to, how much money I'm willing to spend, uh, not how much money I'm willing to spend, how much I view value my time in the production of content for stories from the crisper drawer, and um, and uh, I like I haven't figured out what I'm going to call the gaming aspect yet, but like, is it just going to be the crisper drawer? <laughs> is this stories from the this is story stories from the crisper drawer would it then become game? games in the crisper drawer or something like that i don't know what i would call that i have to figure out the name for that um what i do know is this paywalling stuff is in the long run not ideal if this became my full job i would consider it then because it would be my only income and i would have to challenge that i don't want this to be my only income (laughs) And there are definitely ways of, like, YouTube, unfortunately, uh, their monetization of that. I don't know if I if that would be viable in the long run. Or if the fact that I, I run a gaming thing and then having a, a one, one episode or two episodes a week would be dedicated to talk like this. Would that survive? Or would Patreon be the way to go? But then it becomes the thing of, am I releasing the content that's worth, like, $5 a month on Patreon plus the administration fee and then claiming all this stuff? Or a subscribe star going to sponsors or various other platforms. Like, what is my option in the long run? So this is one of the things I'm trying to think about. And that's why Season 2 has sort of had a slow start. And why it will be a slow burn on this season. I mean, Season 3. Type Season 2 in the fucking document. (laughs) So yeah, it's things like like that where you have to sort of figure out um, what the goals are. And right now, I, I besides from like getting video content up and trying to make this good, <laughs> it's then you know once I have the skills of video, then I start going like, okay, where do I go from there? Do I take like the Sid Alpha approach, which isn't a, which is a really good approach, uh, like twenty one kiloton um, upper echelon gaming, like those guys who are single go out go things. They uh, they they're just, they talk about games, but they have information into the gaming industry. Um, I don't know about twenty kiloton, twenty one kilotons, but I know Sid Alpha, and um, and Upper Echelon Games. And now, granted, we're talking in the th- those guys have in the hundreds of thousands of subscribers. I think twenty kiloton has got like maybe in the twenty thousands. I've subscribed to him. I should go look. That's still a long way out for me. I, like again, I don't know if me being late to the game is gonna fuck me, or if if there really is the space for me. I know the internet technically makes, uh, you know, there's space for really everybody in a way, but is it a space where everyone wants to pay, or is it a space where we have to admit where it's cheaper to just be, it's better to be free and find a better way to find money. Should this be a hobby that I promote on the internet or should it be a job? Something I need to think about. And are are we in a world where we're, we're sort of entering a weird post full-time uh, job situation in Canada, specifically in Calgary right now, like the industrial base is, it's hurting for work, but you know those are all skilled jobs. And sure enough, there's also trade jobs that will always be like 40, 45, maybe even 60-hour-a-week jobs that were trades. But a lot of other people who are not in those professions, are we going to gig work? Are we going down to four week, four, four work days or not? Or are we going to flex time? Like, like I'll give you 40 hours a week, but it's going to be uh, on my terms. It's going to be, uh, you know, fr- on the road, at home. Um, are you gonna, Am I only going to go into the office two days a week and the other two days are going to be... Um, as long as they're effective, are they going to be away from home? That's sort of a, a uh, interesting conundrum of where is the world going? Because 
at a point you would think like um, I'm just gonna pick on accounting because one of my my roommate my roommate was an accountant. Do they always need to be in their office all day long, or could he do ideally the same quality of work, all things being equal, at his house? And by that I mean he's got this. He has, um, you know, let's say there was no distractions and no meetings at work, and there were no distractions and no meetings at his house. Like no reason to go out. Like he had all the information in front of him. Could he do it better from his house or not? That is a question that would have to be answered by that person and their manager or their overseer, overseer their boss. If the overseer and boss said, yeah, it is cheaper because maybe we don't need to give you a full office, but maybe you just need a desk because you're only here once a week. It's a week to meet with clients and we just give you like preferential treatment for one of the meeting rooms. But really, you can work from home or you can work on the go and we trust that you get the stuff done and the evidence has said, yeah, maybe... Maybe that becomes the decision. It's like, great, we can sell. We don't need to pay rent for that parking stall. It's less power usage on our rent. It's uh, We don't need as many offices that are empty-spaced. Um, we can prioritize our assets in certain ways. But then is there also the case where, no, we do, like, you do just as good of a work from home, just as fast. We trust you. But there is a thing of you being here, um, and that would be a client confidentiality of, we don't want the data leaving the office. I can get that from certain uh, standpoints. I also think that that is uh, largely not possible anymore because people carry stuff in their mind all the time that you can't like can't get away with. Which the hope is is that your employees have discretion and talk about things or at least keep them protected in a way that it's not a. How, how would I say this? Like. When they're discussing their work, it's not the secret or the classified or the potentially harmful data that's coming up when they're talking to their friends. But but what they are sharing is stuff that wouldn't matter. It's the benign crap that doesn't matter. They're not sharing uh, like a specific client's file that would be potentially damaging and compromising in a way. Way. Um, like even if they were sharing it without any like with redacted information, but just enough they could track somebody. That's I do understand that from that point of view. But you also get into that question of if you're letting them take the laptop home, do they need to always be there? <laughs> now, from my roommate's point of view, um, at least from how I see his company working, it's tax season right now. It's better to have the more experienced people in the office with the uh, interns and, lo- and new, new hirees and less experienced people because the more experienced people can mentor them. So for the tax season from M- March, April, and May, it makes total sense that they're in the office because you need more mentors. But let's say you were, like, you're in a f- corporation or work in a field where you don't have like this dedicated season where everything gets busy at the same point in time where you're like, let's say you're an engineering firm where some of the, where your designs aren't classified and your projects are publicly talked about. And the engineer who's doing it has the same printer at home. He has the same mathematical connections at home. Um, He's shown uh, most of the jobs he's doing from home are like, two and three story buildings. He's not doing high rises that needs uh, more oversight. He's doing stuff that can be easily signed off on that have very little question. You haven't had any backlash. You haven't had any lawsuits from failure of design. It's pretty much what the differences between um, what he's doing at work and what he's doing at home is the home stuff is more cosmetic uh, engineering versus structural engineering, which he has to. Then you get into that whole point of view and then you're saying like, well, does he need to be in? And I'm not saying there isn't a negative for having an office. An office does make you think, hey, it's time to work. But are we, um, at least from my opinion, I don't know if we've passed it yet, but I think we're getting to the threshold of it doesn't really matter. You work where you work. But there is a degree of professionality to have an office. It does look better meeting people in an office than a Starbucks. But if your office is, you know, screw 
zoning laws about this, but if you can have an f- office in the front of your house that is like your house is clean, that entranceway to get there is very kept clean, very organized, and it shows that you are dedicated to your work, you go in there, you do your, you do as much work as you can. Maybe you take more breaks. Maybe you work for three hours and then you go play video games for two hours and then you come back and you put three hours more in and then you go have lunch or dinner and then you come back and put two more hours and you do you do eight hours but you split them up differently and at the end of the time you've got all your work done like i guess it becomes a thing of overtime then only becomes when you have more than 40 hours a week or when it's like you're working on a saturday or sunday that becomes an overtime thing but it would have to be but i think companies would pick up pretty quickly like this guy's only doing his work at home on saturday to claim overtime but, so he's not working on Thursday. That's like, okay. Just things that have entered my mind while I started recording this podcast. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, again, a lot of things are slowly trying to come together. I have various other projects and ideas hopefully on the go. Um, it's just, you know, it, it gets into an interesting point where you finally take a, take a step back and, and, Resigned from a job that paid well, but didn't feel rewarding in the long run. Like you felt just exhausted at. Now you're here and you're like, I'm not getting the money that I need to live completely. <laughs> like there, I, I, I have to be careful with my spending choices. And I, I, I'm, I'm not complaining at all because I am very blessed with resources and stuff like that. It's just, it's become a thing of a little inkling on the back of my mind. Like, I've got time to fix this problem. I need to start thinking about it now because now it's become reality. It's one of those things where, you know, you say you're going to do something and then when you, you never do it because you, you either have the security blanket or something else that's stopping you or it's like you're always doing this job so you, there's no point in even considering quitting because you always have that job. Now I've got to the point where I have, like, most of the reason is gone now. I have no excuses why I shouldn't put more dedication and time into this. I mean, I could make the excuse that my dog Trigger is an excuse why I'm not doing that. But uh, as my parents and my brother will say, Trigger is actually a source of content and should be a a member in this very fun party. And he's he's actually been that way. So, yeah. I guess I don't know where I'm going with this in the long run, besides from uh, reality's knocking on the door, and it's do I jump for, do I jump with, well, reality's knocking, knocking on multiple doors. Which door do I decide to go to? Because they may not, none of them may be wrong. Or maybe this idea of turning this into a business is completely wrong, and it should stay a hobby. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so... I guess I'm ending that as sort of like, I don't know where I'm going from this, but I'm hopeful. Um, I'm hopeful that in the short term, I, if I make a decision that I would rather have another job to get up to full time and keep this a hobby and create um, and, and slowly develop a library of stuff that would be worth doing, I go that way. If in the short period it turns out like, no, this is where I'm going to put my energy, all of a sudden it's like, I'd put power into this fucking thing right away. Like, I just start going. Like, one episode of Stories in the Christmas Jar a week. Two episode, two or three episodes of video gaming or various other content a week. Like, what do I do? What do I do? So, you know, people say, like, make, it, make a business plan. It's like, well... And they're not wrong. Make a plan. But when you're also at a point of, like, you have no idea what your goals are. Like you want to do this for fun. And the second it stops being fun is when you stop, want to stop doing it. But you realize that if, if it, if you are able to somehow make it on what you're doing and you're having fun with it, or if you're making it, it's not fun, but it doesn't feel like a detrimental job. Then is it a loss? I don't know. I don't know. I know there will be always, there's always seasons where it gets stressful and not stressful. So, um, I guess in the end, it's like, live and learn. <laughs> Figure out what the best way to do for you is. And that's about it. I am going to uh, stop. I am going to go upstairs and, uh, to the main floor and maybe to the uh, maybe to my bedroom. 
on the second floor and find out if Trigger has made an accident anywhere and clean up after him and give him a little treat. Um, let him out and give him another treat because I've been at this for a little while and that's not that's not completely fair to him. I know the older he's going to get, so he's already he's closing in on four months old. In two weeks, he'll be four months old. Less than two weeks, he'll be four months old. Um, he's going to start getting better and better and better and better. I know it took uh, my parents with with Charlie like up to seven months, but that was for that one thing I talked about uh, where it was the discovery of if he did running and then drank tons of water after running around, that's why he would have the accident. Um, Trigger's not getting like this single massive, like huge thirst uh, driving of like um, physical event. It's more constant throughout the day. So I think he'll fit into a better schedule. He's already sleeping great. I, I love the guy. He likes sleeping in. <laughs> he doesn't, but when he has to get up early, it's get up early. I, I absolutely love my dog for that. And he is tired and at my seat. So I guess this is a good spot to sort of end it up here. Um, thank you all for listening. And uh, this was Season 3, Episode 2, Post-Valentine's Day Blue Blur. Um, hopefully you all tune in again next time. And keep keep working hard to make this a better a better experience. And damn it, I'm going to say it. I need to fucking get guests. But that's also on me being a pussy for not doing so. Uh, yeah. I know your own fault. The only reason you're going anywhere is because your own damn fault. I'm I'm a stick in the mud. So anyway, th- again, thank you for tuning in for anybody who did, and um, hopefully you have a good week, a uh, good year, all the best, really, all the best. All right, bye.